name's Aaron And he had a master plan He had a friend His name's Merlin And that's where it all began Complete recovery Welcome to another completely stupendous episode of The Complete Story I'm Chuck Krivanik. And I'm Miles Jensen. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Daryl Alsup. Now, I'm not sure. Is it Daryl or Brian? It's Daryl. <laughs> okay. Uh, I only get Brian when I'm in trouble from my mother. Uh, uh, Daryl is our Director of Business Development here at Complete Recovery, and he's on the line with us from his home in the Lone Star State. Is that right? Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. Uh, I hear the stars at night are big and bright there. Is that true? As always. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome, Daryl. Uh, why don't you just start out by uh, giving us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got to be at, at this place in this point in time. Well, it's interesting because I started in 1982 in the credit reporting business with a small company named Chilton Corporation. And I was living in Oklahoma City at the time, and I was a sales rep for a small affiliate collection agency and an affiliate credit bureau that they were both very small, but the corporate office was in Dallas. So after a year, I working there, I got moved to be the national sales manager on the collection side of the division for that company named Chilton. And then 12 years later, we sold to TRW. Uh, and then a few years later, they sold to Experian, which is the credit bureau we all know today. Yeah. So my background was doing sales in both the collection and credit reporting side uh, for many years, but primarily uh, in that collection side, which is where I was introduced in the cable industry about 30 years ago to companies like Cox Communications, companies like Comcast, TCI, Store Cable. Uh, companies such at that, you know, there's Suddenlink, there's there's tremendous numbers of them, but I, I've worked in that collection side of the house, and my entire background has been with telecommunications. It's been with cable, internet. Of course, that's back before the time anybody knew what internet was. Uh, so I've been doing it for years, and how did I get to Compete Recovery? I had a client named Comcast, and in the West Division of Comcast, I met a gentleman by the name of Merlin Jensen. At the time, he was working in Atlanta. And then I dealt with him in Denver. Then I dealt with him in uh, Utah. But I dealt with every division. And it's odd. It dates me because they didn't have divisions back then. They had about 68 different systems all over the country. And I had a contact at all 68. <laughs> and when we started doing that, it was paper files, and then they got real creative. They, there's this thing called the computer, uh, and we started doing computer and data tapes, uh, mag tapes, data tapes, and then they developed this really cute little thing called a disk that you could actually plug in a computer, and we got away from doing paper, and then it all totally got automated, and it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, so my background has been in collections and credit reporting, in the wireless telco cable industry for approximately 33 years. Wow. So you're a young man like I am. Very young, just like <laughs> you, yes. 
All right. Well, now your your title is officially business development. Tell, tell me what how do you how do you define business development or your role and what what energizes you about that? Well, I've always been in a sales role at every organization I've worked at and when I started in the collection industry, I told multiple people uh, when you're doing collections and you're talking to individuals, no matter what you're collecting, whether it's dollars, equipment, at one time I did car repossessions, you had to be a very good salesman because you're dealing with people face to face. At that time, it wasn't really a lot, that much was phone. Most of my work early in the industry was dealing with people in an office, sitting across from each other, uh, dealing with how we were gonna handle a process. And many times it was them returning things and or having to pay for it. So business development, I call a role of relationships. Uh, And that's basically how I've been in this industry for as long as I have, because I've known a lot of people that have uh, retired over the years in this industry and that are still in it because it's relationship selling. And that's what business development is about, is developing not just new business from new customers, but also continuing that with current customers where we have current relationships and hopefully building other lines of opportunities within that same client. Yeah, I find it fascinating when you speak of relationships because I mean, one of the, the interesting thing, we have a com, you know, common theme there is I wound up here because of Merlin too in a relationship outside of the workplace that you just find these opportunities when you have those relationships and, and yeah, he's people like you, I always envy because you have such vast networks. Funny. I landed here because of my relationship with Merlin as well. Oh, Crazy. Yeah. yeah. That is interesting. A <laughs> little different probably than your relationships, but um, nonetheless, I think, I think that's pretty, pretty amazing how important all we, I mean, whether you're in a, that's your job or just, just, wherever your position is in the company, building relationships, reaching out, connecting with people, you just never know um, where, where it, it'll land you by just trying to develop and, and be, you know, nice and, and developing relationships that way. Yeah. So Daryl, you've had a, a pretty lengthy career there for as young as you are. Uh, tell me about one of your best days ever at work. Well, there, I can tell you there's been numerous, but on a, on a schedule of a daily work basis, it's when you're working on a prospective sales process with a large customer. Uh, and when I say large, it's, I, I've worked in offices where we had four people in an office, and I've worked in offices that were as large as 1,500 people in the office. And it's when somebody that has a project that's meaningful to the organization and scope in many ways. And that wasn't always staffing. It was the type of project or the type of business that could potentially put our company into a new prospective line of work. It was always a big thing. And I would say that's probably some of my better days in the line of work is when they call you and they give you that lovely word when they say yes. Uh, In many years, I can tell you, I've get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of no's from customers. And sorry, not interested. Sorry, we do that with somebody else. The best day 
is when they say they want to do it with your company because of how they feel about the things that you do. And that's a great day for me. So, And it, I, I assume those days are kind of, like you just said, hundreds of no's. Those good, when those yeses are f- less frequent. <laughs> they're, they're a lot less frequent. And in, in many cases, back in my early days of collections, uh, where it was just small collections, small balances, small numbers, everybody said yes. When the company said, oh, well, now we need someone that's going to tell you we need 1,000 accounts a month or 10,000 accounts a month, then all of a sudden the no's were hundreds and the yeses were only occasionally. And that's kind of the way it works today in many of our processes because everything has regionalized, everything has centralized, and the number of prospects I dealt with I, when I first started in this industry that were literally thousands and thousands now from a top 25 vertical of business in the wireless telco cable world, there's 25 or 50 total now. Mm. Wow. Oh. So, so you, you were there, I just want to clarify, you were there when Al Gore invented the internet then. <laughs> I was alive and well and in business. <laughs> and every day, every day we had these, and, and I'll never forget working for Chilton Corporation. It was manual. We dealt with a lot of mag tape in Dallas and, I'll never forget there was executives from IBM and several other bureaus came to our company and they brought all these mag tapes and they talked about they were going to automate the business. And they told Mr. Chilton it was going to cost him a million dollars for us to automate everything. And his family rebuffed him, rebuked him and said, there's no way we're spending that when our company's only worth about 12 million to do that. This could bankrupt the company. And Mr. Chilton said that lovely word is, yes, let's do it. Mm. And it revolutionized that to where they sold the company uh, 15, 18 years later for $345 million. So that $1 million meant a lot after another 15 years in business. Wow. Just going back to your, your comment about the yeses and nos, um, that how, do you, how do you stay motivated with with the rejection, I think it's a question that, that could be very applicable to our agents that, that, that are probably in the smaller category of getting collections or trying to get a customer to return equipment or whatever. But how do you stay motivated when you do get those no's? Well, from a sales perspective in particular, I've always been active in civic organizations, civic associations, not just related to our business, but outside of business. But I tell everyone in business you get you get excited about the fact that uh, when you're talking to someone and you're communicating and you could have 10, 15, 20 horrible phone calls where people just hang up on you, tell you they don't want to talk to you. And then you get that one person that's struggling in life, having problems that says, hey, help me out here. Help me figure out a way to get myself out of this process or this trouble I've kind of I've dived into because I've ignored this for so long. And, and that's the normal scenario. The average person, when things go wrong, they ignore all of these issues and they let them pile up. When you can help someone with that, it makes your day so great knowing that you can assist someone to take care of those things where they feel good about it. And they tell you, this was great for me. You weren't like all the others that called and beat me up or you didn't threaten me. You didn't do these things to me you guys actually seem like you care. And th- that's the best part that I tell agents in the business 
every day, you're going to get a lot of no's. But there's going to be those yeses and there's going to be those people that really appreciate what we do for a living. And that's what always made me feel good about what I did every day. Yeah, I, I love that. And I just know that that's, that's a huge emphasis in our businesses. It's about, I mean, we've been talking about relationships, but it's about treating people well and, and building those customer uh, relations and trying to improve those while we're trying to, to collect a box or, or collect uh, some money, right? I think that's the big piece is really trying to make it a good experience. In everything we do every day, you affect people in, a, in both at a positive and a negative way at times in things that we say and do. And the, the best part when it's working with agents and whether it's working with clients as well and others that we deal with, when they feel like you can add value and then they hear how we treat people, because that's the best part is when people realize when you treat people well and even if we don't succeed in getting a piece of equipment back or they don't have the money to pay us that day, and it may be a smaller amount, the fact that you treat them well and you make them want to reach back out to us and continue, that just makes a difference in, in a lot of those people's lives. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, you kind of answered the question I was just going to ask, which is uh, since you know you and I both want to retire young, and we're going to need another generation of business development people out there. What advice would you have for somebody who's looking to grow their career into a job like you have, taking it to that next level? Well, first and foremost, I would tell them to make sure it's an industry or an area that they really like what the industry is. And in my side of starting at a very young age in the credit reporting collection industry, I had a very wise soul who had worked for Sears Credit for 35 years, and he was the president of our division. And he told us every day, make sure you love those things you do every day. And when someone tells you you're a horrible person for being in the collection or credit industry, make them aware of how important what we do is. So what I tell people even today that go into the industries of not just credit and or collections, but in, in any areas where it comes to the communication standpoint, is to make sure they really like that industry and then to understand that there's lots of areas of, of things that you will do every day. Many you like, many you don't like, but be able to accept those things in your role to know that the end result is going to be able to get at least from a positive perspective, that feeling that you contributed. And it's not always just to your company. It can just be to the industry and it can just be to those individuals that you talk to because many of them need direction and guidance and it's up to us to give that. Excellent. Hey, Daryl, boomer. Sooner. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> now for our listeners out there, I, the question I have is, how do you know Barry Switzer? <laughs> Switzer? Well, I was born and raised in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and lived there for 22 years before uh, I, at 21, I got married. And I told my wife, the first company that offers me a chance to relocate to Dallas, we're moving because that's where I always wanted to live. Uh, it's only a three hour, three and a half hour drive. And I said, that's where I always wanted to live. But being an OU fan and knowing a lot of folks that was there and having a lot of family 
that worked at different areas because I, I didn't live that far. I was tw 10, 12 minutes from the university. But knowing a lot of our family that worked there uh, and, and did multiple things there, uh, I got to know a lot of people. But it's actually my wife that has a relationship with several folks. And she has the same birthday as Barry Switzer. So I call them, and he calls them birthday buddies. So I got to know him through that. And there's really more through my wife than it really was me. Uh, I never had a chance to play sports there. Uh, I went to Southwestern Oklahoma, a very small school that was much smaller. But anyhow, it was through her that I met Barry Switzer. So, yeah. and have stayed very, very close. And we're, we do things and, you know, we get to go to football games, a lot of home games in Barry Sweet. So it's just really kind of cool. Uh, because that, again, uh, wow. all of the players that come and he calls them all his kids. He said he loves to see his kids because <laughs> they energize him. And it's really awesome to see that. So, huh. yeah, I was very, when I saw that picture, I had to hear the story. That's a great one. And I have a somewhat of a connection there. My, I have a nephew that went to, uh, it's in Norman, Oklahoma, isn't it? Where That's where OU is, yes. OU, yeah. So he went to OU. I've vis I've I have visited uh, Norman. Um uh, and and on the truck I recently bought, it had an OU sticker on it. <laughs> Which I love that. You told me that and I thought that was classy. That's just that long spread of reasoning they do around the world. So. Exactly. <laughs> That's the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, right? No. But who's Barry? He was the, he, well, he was the coach. He oh. was a coach. He Barry was a coach for 12, 13 years in Norman. And then he quit coaching for 12 years. And then he was coach of the Dallas Cowboys for four years. Okay. And he actually won a Super Bowl. So there's, he's one of three. I'm just going to give you some trivia. He's one of only three college coaches that have actually won a national championship in college and won a Super Bowl. Oh. So, uh, and his predecessor, at the Dallas Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson was one of the yeah, other ones. Yeah. So, so again, it just it's uh, yeah. it, it's a small world, uh, but again, it's a, it's a good thing because we love football. And I get a little grief here in Dallas <laughs> at times with all of my OU stuff because we have a lot of UT fans here. And my kids graduated from a UT school, not UT Austin, but a UT school, and uh, so did my nephew and a lot of other relatives. So I've got a, a lot of bloodlines at UT. It's just, my heart's always been at OU. So there you go. And, uh, Daryl, I understand you re uh, recently attended a reception that was there in Dallas, right? The, for it the actually was, it was in Frisco for the Inc 5,000 event that we've been very fortunate and blessed to be a part of. Now, one of only four companies that have been in Inc 5,000 and grown uh, for five years in a row. So it was kind of nice. We're at an event where they don't just talk about the top company that they had listed at Inc. 5000, but we were one of only five companies recognized at that event. And it was pretty special because there were, there were probably 60 to 80 of the companies. They did three different regional meetings and there were about 60 to 80 there at the one here in Frisco. But we were one of the only five that were mentioned and actually recognized, which was pretty special. That's I bet. awesome. Well, can I ask a, a separate question, Chuck? Um, Daryl, tell us a little bit about, we've been working with uh, Charter 
uh, spectrum here lately and getting ready to start a project with them. Anything you want to share with us about, about that? Well, it's, it's a great program for them because this, this was a project for charter that will add great value all over the country because it's going to be helping them recover equipment in what they call their remote markets. And other companies use terms, oh, these are our rural markets. Well, it's not really a rural market. It's really what they consider remote market where they don't have a lot of local offices. But more importantly, they don't have what they call feet on the street uh, staff and trucks rolling every day to go out and do installs or pick up equipment and things of that nature. So they call them remote markets. And for them, it's one that is normally they just service uh, over the phone. They'll send a text or they'll try to reach you. Uh, and many times they'll, they'll send you a bill in the mail, but that's the only communication. So we're developing a, pro a program and project with them that will help us do text, email, phone, and some very consistent phone efforts to try and reach these folks. Uh, we might utilize some mail, but trying to reach them to get to, to get them in a position where they can return the equipment. Because many of these, since there's not a local office to take it to, they don't know that they can take it to UPS or FedEx. So we assist them in that market. And we think it's going to be a very valuable process for them, helping all these customers in those remote markets. Awesome. Looking forward to that. And uh, I got to ask too, uh, have you been to the casino lately? As a matter of fact, uh, we did go last weekend only because <laughs> when we go to the game and do things with Coach Switzer, they actually will take us up sometimes on a bus. So we did go. Uh, I, I tease my wife that she should be nicknamed as a professional gambler, even though she's really not. Uh, but but we, we do go once every three or four weeks. And I know we, we do enjoy that as one of our hobbies. Normally it's to go to a concert or to yeah. do another event uh, or things. But again, because there's always plenty of things to do uh, as, as the world has started to come back to a sense of normalcy. Again, we get invited to stuff every weekend, but we don't go every weekend. So, so Daryl, I got to ask have you ever been to Wendover, Nevada? Believe it or not, I've been to Wendover about five times uh, in my life. Uh, not just dealing with folks in, not just dealing with folks in Salt Lake, but that's where a lot of it started. But uh, having friends that we would go and we would travel the U.S. playing golf at golf courses. We've been to Mesquite. Uh, we've been all over, and that's one of the areas we went to at Wendover before because we went to play some golf courses in the area. And since there was really not a whole lot out there, they said, we'll just go hang out at the casino. So, yeah, but again, go. I have been to Wendover, <laughs> uh, and I've had some very good and fond memories uh, of times there. It was very good. So, well, I know, uh, we took a, a bus load of, uh, people there right. uh, in the past year. What must've been before. Is it's been within COVID? the last year, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So when yeah, you're probably, in town, yeah, probably six months ago, when, and my wife and I considered flying in for that, but unfortunately, I had grand grandkids and had birthdays and things going on. So <laughs> because I was going to come in for that, because I knew it was going to be a good time. So yeah, well, when you're in town, we'll have to take a trip out there. You can show me. I I am not a. I don't know how any of that stuff works. 
Well, my wife is more of a slot machine specialist than I. I would prefer cards over a slot machine. <laughs> but the good news is they've got good food and they a lot of times have other refreshments that sometimes can be very tasty. Excellent. So, <laughs> so in, 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 when you'd go there, is it uh, in Oklahoma? Like, are they Indian? Like- All of the casinos in Oklahoma are Indian-owned, Indian-based. That's the only legal gambling okay. you can do outside of scratch-offs and things like that, which I tell people don't do. Uh, but anyhow, uh, yes, they're all Indian-owned, but yes. And the one that we go to more often is called Choctaw, and it's in Durant. It's about an hour and five minutes from our house. Uh, the biggest one in the country is in uh Gainesville, Texas. I mean, just on the border north of that, and it's called Windstar. But yes, we have two, and they are massive in size. Believe it or not, uh, they are massive. Well, they have 3,000 to 5,000 hotel rooms in what they call these little Indian casinos, and I assure you they are not little. (laughs) It is a billion-dollar industry, and as we tease people all the time, Texas has lost Many, many millions because they say 80% of everybody there is from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Daryl, you know, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Well, thank you. It's and, been enjoyable. And I can't wait till you do get to come uh, visit us here in uh, Taylorsville. But until that time. Yeah. Good to talk to you, Daryl. This is good, good seeing you both. And I look forward. It won't be long. I'll be back. This is our complete story. All right. Hit the music. He had a friend. Song. His name's Merlin. <laughs> and that's where it all began.